Hello friends, welcome back to the Back on the Bus podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This episode we have a real, wow, kind of a mind-blowing guy here um, coming up on the big weekend. This is Matt Heyman. Matt is a friend and a teammate going way back in the green edge days for myself. And uh, man, he's he's a guy I've always had a massive respect for. He's done 20 big, hard years at the world tour level. And he won the Paris-Roubaix in 2016. And uh, this for sure was one of my favorite podcasts to record. And Randy, I'm curious to hear, uh, you know, how... Uh, what did you take away from this uh, wicked podcast? Yeah, I mean, I hadn't, I didn't really know Matt very well before we, before we sat down for this one. So I, uh, I really got to feel like I got to know him, and it's, it's another guy like you know comes across. He's a really nice guy, and you look at twenty years in the peloton, he rode for three teams. It, that says a lot, yeah, you know, for sure, for um, sure. Yeah, so guys, they keep him along, and and. Uh, you know, listening to him when he and he takes on Perry Bay, um, and talking about the pressure and how much the, the race meant to him, and you know how much pressure he put on himself. Because my experience, well, I only I was fortunate enough to do it the year he won. He rode too fast, so I was outside the time cut. But <laughs> <laughs> that's another story. But um, it's a zoo. That race is a zoo, and you know all the bike sponsors, everybody's there. All these people you don't see all all year show up for this race, and. Uh, yeah, it's amazing what he was able to do. Matthew Heyman, mate, really happy to have you on the podcast, man. Tell hey, us where you're at. <laughs> awesome. Where are you at at the moment? Uh, a place you know very well. I'm oh. at uh, the Family Hotel in Belgium, Laplebed. You probably even remember the address, do you? Brussels is Steamwreck. Steamwreck. Oh, jeez. Yeah. One something? Is there a one in there? Yeah, I think it's 101. Yeah. 101. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this has been our team hotel in the past and uh, still still the uh, team hotel for for all the classics up here. And, uh, yeah, just off the back of Flanders yesterday. And tell, us, tell us. Tell us. Oh. <laughs> um. An emotional roller coaster. Um, yeah, I mean, I saw some amazing, you know, the, the effort of uh, Pojica there on the old Quaramon. I've never seen anything like that. And from that point, I knew the writing was on the wall for us for the, for the win. Um, but yeah, you know, Michael Matthews, um, really solid ride there, and you know, he was with the best few riders to be able to come over the Partersburg with the, with the top, you know, ten, fifteen guys. And he ended up 11th. Um, so, yeah, ha- had been hoping for a bit more, especially with the legs that he had and knowing that from probably those first two guys, those two guys were stronger than anybody else. But he was as good as the guys running second, third, fifth, you know. So yeah. he was there definitely another. And, and you know, then you go, well, you know, he got there. He got to, to race it, got to go man on man in the final. And you know that there's you know, 180K lead into that where anything can happen and we got through that. So that's a big tick as well. Plenty of guys that didn't even get to race the final. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, Something yeah. we were I'd, – I'd like to just get your take on this quickly. We were discussing yesterday like 
these guys like Pajakar coming into a Flanders. And like traditionally yeah. Flanders, the guys who've been lighting up those moves on the old Quaramont, Patersburg yeah. and so on are big blokes, like yeah. you know, 75, 80 kilo blokes. And you yeah. have this like Tour de France champion, the guy like just can crush ridiculous numbers. And like how much yeah. is that changing the game in, in a race like this when they – yeah, it is, but I wonder too if if Roubaix, oh, sorry, Flanders has has probably made itself probably a bit too hard, and and the way that they've stacked mm-hmm. the back end of that race now, and you see guys like Madwas, you see Pitcock, you see these guys, and not to say that that uh, Mathieu van der Poel and the bigger guys, but um, yeah, I think I've known for a few years that it was there was way too much climbing for me, um, so that's ruling out another bunch of bigger guys. Um, they they so, just keep pushing those big guys out of the sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just keep giving more races to guys who win the tour. Like, um, you know, and I, he is he is phenomenal, but yeah. it definitely um, it definitely Flanders definitely does suit a guy like that. And some of the smaller riders can get around for sure. I've often thought we've got some guys in our team that could do well that don't come up here, but if they. You have to be able to position, and he got through that. That's the biggest challenge for Pochacar is to come into that environment and be able to get yourself to the bottom of Quaramont second time. Like that's yeah, that's yeah. half the bike race. That was totally. his only that 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 was his enemy yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I I wanted to ask you. Um, you know, I always remember the feeling of a, as a bike racer the day after a Flanders or something. You were just kind mm-hmm. of tried mentally, physically. You do like a yeah. recovery ride and it's just like you're just you're not really there. No. And I, I wanted to get your take being a director now, being mm-hmm. in that crit because man, it's pretty nuts out there on those courses, yeah, yeah. driving around, ripping around in the car, dealing with all the shit you guys have to do. And I, I'm curious to hear what it's like now being a director in these <laughs> monuments. Oh. I, I could have uh, – I was pretty I was pretty tired last night and um, I actually probably need a rest day today. But uh, the next race is – I mean, we've got to prepare for Skelder Prize and we've got races oh, coming up. Oh, Skelder Prize, yeah, yeah. So we've added that. We've we've got one of the world's best sprinters now, so we've added Skelder Prize into the mix, just throwing a bit more sketchiness. Nice. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I could have done with an extra day off. Um, and definitely, like you said, I think the mental side of it, and we've talked about training up here and how guys, um, you know, kind of lose form, and it's not through, it's just skew with the numbers and the mental kind of pressure that's put on the guys, not in fact the training, to, to ask someone to go out the day after Flanders and maybe do three or four hours. Physically, <laughs> it's maybe possible, like if yeah. you're just a coach, yeah. um, but you know that just yeah you've just been through you know been on a roller coaster for seven hours and just had all of those all of that adrenaline th- you know just rip through your body yeah the next day you're just flat like whether you like it or not so, yeah <laughs> uh, i gave the boys i said guys do whatever you want today because mentally they just need to to switch off and 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 whether they do two hours today or or nothing or four hours it's probably not really going to change how they ride on wednesday right and so a lot of the boys that did Flanders are staying up. I guess you, with the way things are going in Europe, it's that's kind of it. They're still healthy, so they're going to do yeah. scale prize. Yeah, look, we've got a lot of a lot of guys sick and injured. We've got some guys preparing for the Giro. We've got guys racing in Basque. We've got some other guys going off to Turkey next week. So um, we sent a couple of guys home. Um, Michael Matthews will come back for, for Amstel. He doesn't 
he's not going to do skill. That we bring in a fresh Dylan from uh, Dylan Krunewagen, um as our sprinter, and uh, we tried to rest a couple of key guys for Amstel. So there's a bit of crossover, but yeah, yeah. Nice. So we'll see. I want no, to. Uh, it's been going well. It's been I'm going. Kind of curious how crazy it is now that you're in the car, like during Flanders. Like it's got to be exhausting too. Um. Yeah, I just. I just sometimes feel let down by technology and wish I had – wish I was doing what all the riders thought. When I was a rider, I thought the directors were sitting in the car watching the TV and they knew what was going on. Right. And I now, know, I now know that's not true. And sometimes where four or five minutes, I'm guessing where the riders are. Oh, yeah. um, and so, you know, critical things are happening. I'm driving up old Quaramont and Bling's come down off Partersburg and I've got to try and work out where he is, um, you know, keep the focus and I haven't had television. I'm ringing different people, um, signals dropping out and, and don't know anything. I mean, I didn't see the finish of Flanders until I woke up this morning and was scrolling through the internet. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I heard the results obviously, yeah. but, you know, yeah. we were taking people to the airport and stuff. So, yeah, you just... You think you think the directors are sitting there just kind of watching the race, listening to the race radio, got all the information. Sipping a coffee, yeah. just cruising. Yeah. Well, we had coffee. We had coffee. But, uh, and, and it's very it much bashing so, in like, your face when you <laughs> Well, there's very like there's a lot of hours where nothing happens and then it just seems yeah. to really like when it starts happening, it's it's all happening at once and, and, and the, the stress levels go up. And, you know, there'll be hours where you and the mechanic and the other director are pretty, pretty chilled, and next minute you're all screaming at each other, "Oh, which bike went? <laughs> oh, go stop! He's up there!" You know, so when it happens, it, it kicks off really quickly. So, yeah, um, I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. No, well, no. we could uh, go on about the bike races. No, no. I think for yeah. forever. Um, what we're really keen on on talking about today is like your your path to your your crazy long mm. career and and one thing i'd always like to point out about your career is that you know it's 20 years but it was 20 years at like the level in europe and now like a lot of guys i could use myself as an example like i had a long career but there was many years where i was just kind of dorking around in north america while mm. it was you know it was hard and i was training and doing all those things it's not the same and yeah there's something to be said about that and i think the fact that you had that longevity, the fact that you yeah. pulled off like the biggest win of your career later on in 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 your life, yeah, um, says a lot about your character and and who you are as a person. So, you know, ten years on Rabobank, but we were again we were talking a bit about it this morning. What was that build up to that, you know, that initial role in Rabobank, that under twenty three position you got because you yeah. started in ninety seven. From what I yeah. heard, yeah. Yeah. No, so, um, you know, actually, first time I left Australia to come to Europe, my older brother was racing in, in Holland. Uh, he came over quite a bit older than me and um, he was racing in the amateur scene in Holland. And one school holidays, mum and dad said, oh, would you like to go over and, and race? So I was under 17, <laughs> so I wasn't even in the under 19. So I'm what they call newerlinger back there. Um, so I came over here and went from racing like, you know, three of my mates in Australia to rocking up to 60-man pelotons in Belgium and Holland um, as a 16-year-old. And I was only over in the school holidays for a few weeks and um, 
but I was actually doing pretty well against these Europeans, better than I was doing against the Aussie kids because, you know, if you're a cyclist in Australia, you're pretty much into the sport. You're pretty much you're doing it at our level. You were going to you were aiming to go to junior world championships where over here it was a bit of a, a rite of passage for everybody. You play football or you ride a bike. So these guys weren't really training. They're just racing on the weekend. They just right. line up. And I was already as a 16-year-old, you know, the whole Australian Institute of Sport, you know, already doing an East German-style training program, yeah. Of, yeah. you know, five-minute efforts and things. Um, so that was early on. And then I made Junior Worlds team and, and after that got that, three years on rubber bank amateur team and that was kind of a real decision you know do i want to go down the australian um, track cycling path or or try and make it on the road and then the national program was around but it was faltering a bit at the time and um had a really good experience on the amateur team we had a uh, like one of the best teams um in europe um and good directors um really really well run and I, I learned a lot about bike racing in those three years and the first two years helped out a lot of guys and the last year i remember a couple of guys getting in my ear saying well everyone else has turned pro and you're still amateur just helping everybody you need to start winning some races if you want to turn pro yeah um and actually the big one i won was a dutch national championship um, <laughs> which i probably shouldn't have been allowed to start anyway um and uh, <laughs> but, but you're, you're on like Holland's national team essentially, right? It's like well, so they just... yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, well, I had I had a racing license from Holland, and right. they'd let me start the year before. And I okay. remember the director saying like, "Oh, if you if you're away with one of the other guys, you know, it's pretty important for them." And I'm like, "Well, I've also seen every single guy get a pro contract, and I want to turn pro." So um, I won that in '97, and pretty much straight after that, the contract was under my nose. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, and but yeah, it was a bit of a rude shock going to the pros um, from from that team where we were we were pretty dominant. We were using our numbers in races, and we were at the pointy end of the race. And then you turn up in the pros, and I, you know, thought, okay, the next step is you start riding the classics, go to the Tour de France. And as you know, I didn't ride the Tour de France until 2014. Yeah, so, yeah, 15 years later. So it was a big shock um yeah turning pro at that time and my goals and ambitions were pretty adjusted after the first season of- <laughs> yeah. so i went to, be, be, yeah be, i just went to like what do i need to do to keep this contract is be a domestic yeah yeah before we we get into that uh like i think there's some some stuff we went over there like just what was that routine like coming from Oz, like how long were those first stints as a young man? <laughs> yeah. And I, like you said, like one of your first trips over was like made it sound like a holiday racing in, yeah. <laughs> 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 which I just couldn't imagine at that age. Like it would just, I don't know, like, no. I don't know if I would have been able to handle that, you know, like, uh, yeah. I mean, I had family over here. I had my brother, um, and he, and he was really supportive um and you know he actually gave up some of his races to take me around um to to some races for that six weeks that i was over um so it would have been hard without that but looking back going what what parent puts their child on a plane to europe at 16 by themselves to go and ride some bike races like i don't know if my parents saw something that i didn't see or and but i'm you know i've got a 10 year old at the moment and yeah i'm not sure not far years, no i'm not sure i'd just be like Oh, go and do some racing if you want. Um, so, but yeah, 
Um, and it's hard to remember that experience. It's it's so far removed from now that I don't remember. Like I'm, I'm figuring I got through the airport and I yeah. found my way to Europe and, you know, um, I can still remember some of the experience of, you know, kind of moving into my own um, little apartment and realising when that was a proper stint, when it's six months and, like, you're here now, um, you, you know, you kind of... For some reason, I remember, you know, the closing the door and, and everything being quiet and you're going, this is it. Yeah. <laughs> this, you know, there's no one to talk to. I'm now in Europe for the next six months. Um, so that was it? You would, you would like, commit to the six months and that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember putting, I had a little bedside table and a, you remember you used to have the the original tickets, which were actually yeah. on paper with, you know, they'd rip off one piece as you did one leg of the... Yeah. And I remember I pushed that to the back of the back of the drawer. I didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to know it was there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so the first three years were pretty much six, six months since, probably about this time of the year, March, April, um, and then six months. I mean, the amateur season was a, a fair bit shorter than the pro season. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, then, so now you've you've made it on Rabo, and you're you're trying to figure like on the in the in the professionals, pros. and yeah. you're realizing it's a whole other world, and yeah. and you're yeah. It was. I mean, there's we can brush over it a bit, but yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on, and and I just kind of realigned my goals with right. trying to stay in the sport. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. Tell us like how that like because there was a lot of like big names, big characters, yeah, yeah, on that team, and yeah, you you would have been lining up as a young guy with with some of these hardened dudes from the yeah. past, like that, yeah, were yeah. hitters, and and what was that like? Is this the young guy? Like, did they? Because I feel like the culture in that sense has changed so much. We have young guys coming in, yeah, who yeah. are. They think they're the best, and the team's treating them as if they're the best. And some of the older guys are just kind of zipping it because you're yeah. not like having a two-way conversation anymore. No. And, I, and I know in that time it was very different. It was an apprenticeship. You you came to the team and you you showed them what you were capable of in the sense of like whatever your niche was going to be. And in your yeah. case, you saw like I can help these guys win. Um, yeah. 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 No. So. Um... Oh, I, I definitely liken that original years at Rubberbank as a bit of a kind of an army way of dealing with things and anybody that, um, you know, you definitely got beaten down first and and put on the front and you had to show some, you know, you had to show your worth. Like uh, anybody who bounced in then, it was like, all right, we're going to, if anybody has big ambition, we're going to cut them right down to level first and then... Uh, and then, yeah, slowly, slowly build you up. But uh, you know, you had to do every dirty job first and earn your stripes big time. There was no just coming in and oh, I've got talent. And that really didn't start towards the end of my career. We had a couple of guys doing that at Rubberbank came over with you know super talent. We're able to to step straight in. But most guys, um, yeah, do your time first, keep quiet, and uh, and then eventually, once you've earned some respect, you could move up the food chain. Right. So it was pretty, how, yeah. How would you compare that to now? Like what you're seeing yeah, now? No. <laughs> no, it's it's different. It's uh, it's a different generation of of young people, and and 
you know, the psychology of the sport, you, you try to use that psychology. I mean, you know, um, you try to try to encourage everybody, you know, you don't try and beat, beat them, them down, down first. <laughs> <laughs> um, into submission and then, and then, yeah. So yeah, big time. And, and, and I'm surprised how well these guys can just handle, you know, with the, they're climbing as fast or faster than they were. They're riding the average speeds are as fast or faster than they ever were. And a guy will come over from the juniors or the, you know, might have done one year as an under 23 and he lines up in a 270 kilometer race and yeah. seems to be able to handle it. Um, is that because the five years before that, they've already been training with trainers that, you know, know a bit about the sport? Uh, you know, the equipment is better and faster, but. You know, and, and maybe it's just that you raise to that level. Maybe, you know, back in when I started, the, the level between the best and the worst was probably a lot wider. Right. Um, there was more select. And now the level, the middle level of these bike riders is is, is amazing. Um, there's, you know, a few a few freaks out there, which, you know, we saw again on yesterday. Um, but behind that, there's not much separating all these guys. Like it's such a close race and it makes it you know, really, you know, really hotly contested. Um, they're all training, you know, I think, you know, my training programs weren't very scientific or specific as, a, you know, I was pretty much going from race to race and that's, you know, until I broke down where nowadays most guys have a, a season planned out, mapped out. They have certain times when they're base training and they're doing this and they're needing rest between races. Um, which brings everybody's level up when, when you know, you're not really only doing specific training and, and specific race programs for four or five guys on the team. You're actually trying to do that for 25 guys. Yeah. 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 That's, that's changed a bit. You know, it, going from 100 and something race days, which you used to do to guys yeah. now, you know, 60. 60 or 70. And I'm not saying that's easier. I'm not no. saying, I'm saying also the pressure on those 60 race days is harder. That includes now, at minimum two or three altitude training camps, which I never did, you know. Right. And only training camp I ever did probably my first 10 or 15 years of my career was in July because I wasn't at the Tour de France for 15 years. They had to keep uh, you busy. Yeah. yeah. They, so yeah. they sent us away for a little while or, or we chose to go somewhere. Um, but now, I mean, the pressures are, are higher on the, on the riders to, to do those 60 race days a lot better than we were doing 110 or right so that's that's something we've been understanding as well is like the the level of like the early races the the races that like you would you would know better than anyone is like the rhythm of those spring races used to yeah. be a lot more controlled mm -hmm. and guys were kind of building up form you could actually yeah. come in a little what like out of shape or whatever yeah yeah, yeah and yeah. you could ride into into form through the spring and you know and now yeah. it's like from what i understand it like Ruta del Sol, it's just like full Boom. gas, like from yeah. kilometer zero. And no yeah. one's letting the break, like the break might go, but guys are still attacking, you know? That's just yeah, like. Yeah. yeah, they're all important races now. Um, and yeah, a, a slightly reduced, but I mean, that race program now feels big, you know, 60 yeah. days or yeah. 65 days for, for a rider now feels full on. Right. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's some, some of the differences. Um, yeah from from back then um and yeah it was a, it was an experience and and i felt like there was uh a lot of hard days on that team because we 
we probably weren't the smartest team of riding. We had some good winners there, whether it was uh, Michael Bogart, Eric Decker, um, Rolf Sorensen, Oscar Freire. Sure, um, yeah. But we we would we would ride a hell of a lot. I spent a lot of time on the front because we'd take control. We were one of those teams that was for sure we were we were going to ride, um, which that's, wasn't always smart. <laughs> but that's how you got so bloody strong too in those years. Like I can only imagine. Like you just yeah, yeah. you just have to do it. I mean, and you do when you when you put in that position. And we all know. I mean, we didn't always have the yellow jersey. I'm not saying that, but you've you've been in events when you get when you're put in that position and you start riding. You just do things. You didn't know you could do. Yeah. Remember that stage of Tour of Swiss? <laughs> yeah, yeah, with, yeah. Uh, for Michael on the circuits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we couldn't, we couldn't do that, could we? No, <laughs> we would have been the first guys dropped. Um, yeah. And someone said you got a ride, and we were like, "Oof!" And when you do, when you get told to do it, and, and yeah. you've got no option, you just get through it. That's actually a great point. It will go on a side note there, but. As much as, like you said, like that's not a smart way to race all the time. I couldn't agree more, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. But in saying that, there's also a lot of power in that when a team takes the front. When, like, and I think maybe that's what they were striving for, like in that in that way, right? Mm-hmm. You are now dictating the pace. You're putting like mm-hmm. what you are controlling the race, and yeah. you have guys that rise above. And yeah. now it might not always be the smartest because those guys might not be able to back it up tomorrow and they'll be so yeah, fucked yeah, yeah. for the, the yeah, next yeah. stage. But I've seen amazing things that like guys that normally wouldn't have been able to do no. those kinds of things, right? And uh, no. Yeah. No, it's it's pretty powerful to to do that. And, and as long as it's the right pressure on and, and the leader or whatever you're doing it for is the right reason, um, it can definitely bring, bring a team together. Um, problem now is that, Everybody does it, but they're just drag racing each other yeah. down the road. Nobody yeah. can actually get in front. <laughs> um, so just six teams lined up going full bore. Oh, so, yeah, I think it was a bit easier in, in years gone by to just say we'll take control. Yeah. Um, you know, but we, that, right, that kind of goes right. with that respect amongst teams and riders from that era yeah. as well. Like guys would be like, okay. And but no one would be fighting from behind, right? There was no, no. there was a there was a system in place, and as much yeah. as people might think that's boring or like it was elitist yeah, yeah. or whatever, it's like that's just how it was. And now, like you said, to control that front, you have these young guys who just want to be there. I was I played that game as well, and I just yeah. would be shaking my head. What am I doing? <laughs> Freaking idiot! <laughs> but like yeah. so you're looking down, and you're like to hold. Next to this guy, this guy you've never even seen before, you're riding yeah. at 600 watts, and you're like, "Well, yeah. how long am I going to do this for?" <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And then you elbow yeah. and you swing your guy through, and and, and yeah. then he rides, and you try and slot back in a place, and you're like, "Okay, there's still 60k to go in this race," and like, yeah. Yeah. you know, so yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's all the races are opening earlier, and, and you, you've just kind of got to, you know, when we're sitting down doing the tactics, you say, "Well." It seems unreal, but if we're not in position here, we might not be in the bike race. That's so. true. Yeah, and that's just it. How many times you look back and said, "Well, if we didn't do it there, we would have been in that crash yeah. and and yeah. chasing yeah. for the next thirty k, not yeah. even in the f- finale." So it's like yeah. it's kind of true. It's it, it's it's changed, and I guess it's and that's I guess the evolution of the sport until something else. You know, I mean, we've seen it too with with Ineos came in and I was part of Sky early on and um, 
kind of changed the way in in some ways like we're gonna it was more on the way that they were climbing i think probably uh lance and us postal brought in that all riding together but it was never even you know in my day if someone started riding you didn't line your team up team up behind them just let the guy ride and everybody just sat in the bunch yeah and now if one rides the team's lined up behind them and, and it's, in the tour de, tour it's de a France shit fight behind to be the next, what, what the next, and second like, team and the third team. Well, <laughs> green jersey has to go in here somewhere. We need so, to put the white jersey. They're calibrating in. who ranks higher. It's like, well, this guy's yeah. second on GC, mm-hmm. yeah, but he's got the yeah. points jersey, and you know, it's just like what. Yeah. So, but but we saw that with Ineos, and, and and I guess we thought there for a while that this is how cycling will be, and yet it's changed again, and people are going earlier, and people, and it is not controlled all the time, and. And people are doing uh, doing long range attacks and thing. We thought that was a thing of the past. So I think the sport does go round, and 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 maybe this is a period, and 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 there'll be new tactics in in five years, three years time. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. So jumping back to early Rabobank days. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I, I'm curious to know when you started to feel comfortable on that team, or when that role had been stamped for you, and and yeah, you were now becoming that guy that they're like, okay. We got Heyman, he's dependable, yeah. we can send him to big yeah. races and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because I feel like those early years, you're always being tested. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually got pretty lucky that I missed out on riding the Giro in my first year. Um, <laughs> was Because uh, two of my well, – four of us came across as Neopros and the other two rode it and they didn't get through. And I think it left a big cross across their name that they had to try and work back from. Yep. Um, and they never really got back from that. So I kind of dodged a bullet there. Um, did some of the classics, was was moving around okay in the classics. Um, actually didn't do a grand tour for the first couple of years. I think it's probably because I was climbing so badly. Um, they felt sorry for me. So <laughs> I think my first grandy was probably 2002 or three Giro. Um, and so yeah by then yeah started to get comfortable in that role um really enjoyed doing that for for eric decker and and oscar Ferreira. um you know it's nice when those guys say know that you know you feel like you're getting selected to go and win milan san remo with them and you feel like um you know that they they respect that and and you know if you're getting selected for milan san remo or or for for flanders or roubaix um then you're one of the better riders on on a pretty strong team to to support those guys yeah uh, yeah i was in in no no doubt um about exactly what my role was um you know i just tried to make myself as useful as possible in every situation probably overdid it at times but you know, you stop if they're having a piss or you get water bottles or ask them if they need clothes or whatever. Just try to really do that domestic role as best I could because I figured that was the way I was going to stay in the team. Um, I saw another couple of young guys come along and they were, you know, always hanging back and what about my own result or could I be a classics rider? And if you didn't end up winning, then that, yeah. got, that wore pretty thin, you know, pretty quick. So it's like how useful can you be, you know? Um and I figured that role of, yeah, just you've always got a job if there's only so many winners and <laughs> most, of the team, most of the team are helpers. Um, so if you make sure you're a pretty versatile helper, um, you're going to stay in the sport. Um, but at the same time, it was the reason I left the team um, because there was just no more ambition for me uh, towards the end. 
Yeah. And it was a real eye-opener to go to Sky where somebody kind of said, oh, we think you're pretty talented and, and you know, and I felt like I was always going to get paid at Rubberbank. You always got paid on time. I was always going to get a start. I was always going to get another contract. And But there was no more ambition for what, what I could do and I'd kind of I'd re- reached a ceiling there. Yeah. Um, and it was refreshing to go to another team where somebody said, well, we're not, sh-. they didn't have, you know, a, an exact expectation on what you could or couldn't do. So you were able to get a, a new first impression and, and try something different. Yeah. <clears throat> Before we jump, because I want to touch yeah, yeah. on that, that sky, because you were there from the very get go, right? Yeah, yeah. And I find that would have been a pretty fascinating uh, <laughs> yeah. thing to be a part of. Um, you had one of your biggest results during um, your time on on Rabobank was in 2006 in in Oz, yeah. and you were back yeah. for the Commonwealth Games. And yes. uh, what I could understand, I don't remember the story quite exactly, but you had um, you were there to work for was it Alan? Yeah, Alan Davis. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yep. and uh, and then I think you rolled away in the break. It was a beautiful day. It was in Melbourne. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you. I can't tell us a bit about that story before yeah, I butcher okay. it anymore. Well, no, no, no. Um, it was quite, quite hard to convince Rubberbank, a Dutch team who had no idea what the conversation was. What is this shit? Yeah, to to leave after Milan San Remo, fly to Australia, ride the Commonwealth Games, and come back for for Flanders. And, oh wow! Um, yeah, yeah. So I did Milan San Remo, jumped on a flight, went out to Australia, and I remember trying to convince them. And uh, Brownie was actually there. And they go, well, if it's so important, who won the last Commonwealth Games? And I'm just like, couldn't even, met, couldn't even <laughs> think of who the winner was, but it meant the world to me. I needed to go. Um, and, yeah, it was definitely for Alan. It was in Melbourne. It was a pretty punchy course. Um, we took the race on all day, um, pretty much rode all day. Um, and we were getting, you were getting hammered a bit once we finally got towards the final circuits. We'll see. I remember Alan Davis kept saying, that that Mark guy's still here. And it was Mark Cavendish. He just won the, I think he won a couple of track track events yeah. the night before. And he was, I didn't know who the hell he was talking about, but he definitely wanted him unloaded. Um, <laughs> he didn't want to go to line with Cavendish. Um, uh and then, um, yeah, so we were copying a lot of attacks in the last few laps and uh, two South Africans slipped off the front and I just tagged on the back. Um, and they didn't ask me for a turn. I mean, we had been controlling all day. They knew exactly you know, I wasn't going to ride with them riding for Albie. And I think the English had to chase because um, they had missed it. And uh, I didn't give them a turn for a lap and a half um, and they just swapped off uh, full bore. And then, yeah, I, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do in the finish and about 3K out we had a little punchy climb and I just saw them hesitate for a moment. They looked at each other and I think they were kind of deciding who was going to do the last turn and I just hit them both and, and got away. Um, okay. And it was pretty pretty amazing. It was really, really big crowds in Australia and, and oh, wow. uh, yeah. it was a, a really big yeah, I was big there win for, for me. that yeah. that race and I like that was my first Commonwealth Games and it blew me away at how big it was in Oz like yeah that was the crowds so yeah. that's something Rabobank would never understand no, like the importance no. of something like that to you as you know yeah. like yeah yeah um and it wasn't it wasn't really supposed to be for me and um 
yeah, I was just doing it. Yeah, it was it was pretty amazing, pretty amazing day. And I got on the flight back, and I remember in Flanders I had to walk up Koppenberg. <laughs> so, <laughs> Typical Europe, just get beat right back down again <laughs> in your place. Right and I remember because I understand the Flemish, and I was remember the guys, just the drunk guys at the top heckling, <laughs> walking up Koppenberg. Yeah, um, you know, just yelling out stuff. I thought you were a bike rider. <laughs> You know, I just won uh, the fucking Commonwealth Games. So that was like back to reality. Like a week before, I was back page of the newspaper, and um, you know, it was it was the last event before the closing ceremony. And you know, the 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 Monday newspaper was you know x amount of gold medals for the Aussies and, and it caps off for you know a, a medal haul at the Australian Commonwealth Games, and then a week later. Yeah, um, just back, back <laughs> at the <laughs> bottom of the pile. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so jumping back to Sky, um, like yeah. we all see them as this team that's just been, you know, biggest budget, uh, just yeah. crushing everything. Uh, yeah. I feel like most teams are kind of piggybacking off of anything they can learn from the sports science yeah. department of this team. Yeah, it's always the talk. Like, what are they up to now? What equipment are yeah. they doing? Did you see what they did? Yeah. You know, and was yeah. it always like that? Was it like how was it in those first years? <clears throat> yeah, um, oh, it was exciting for me to go there. It was really, you know, somebody showed you know that interest in you, wanted you. I mean, that's always worth that's something. Nice, yeah. um, and then you know, and and it was a good opportunity for me to go into a English speaking because when you do look at it, you go and look at the teams there's not that many teams that you actually want to ride for. And, and I was on a team where I was fairly happy and there's probably only two or three other teams that I would have changed for. And, and then these guys came along and it's not like me to take a bit of a gamble, but you know, because you're going into a team that didn't exist. It had no presence. We didn't know what they looked like or how they were going to race. Um, but yeah, so a chance to reinvent myself. And I think the biggest thing too was just the way that, they took a traditional sport and went back. And, and some of that stuff I'd had as a junior and an under-23 in the national program, I mean, the AOS had based itself off, you know, kind of East German scientific training and, and really done that. And then I went to Rabobank, which was just race and race and <laughs> ride your bike and race, you know. It was as much money as Rabobank had, it was fairly traditional in, in the way it, it raced. So... I really enjoyed going sports science. Let's look at every aspect of the sport and try and question everything we do. Why are you doing that? Why are we going here? Why, you know, can you do altitude and go to the classics? Can Why wouldn't that work? You know, why can't you try this? Why can't you try that? And we, we made a lot of mistakes trying to reinvent the wheel. And then you realise, well, actually, that's why, because we just did that and it failed right. miserably, yeah. you know? So, yeah. Um, and we didn't win very much in those. I was there for four years, and the first two years were pretty meager. I mean, the, we we won a few races, a fair few sprint races, actually. We were actually a pretty good sprint team Yeah. Um, in those first years. We were doing a lot of good lead-outs, and, and that was the team that was doing well. And the, and the GC team um, and that whole climbing team really didn't come around for another four or five years. Um, so... Yeah, it was, it was really exciting and, and just to, to see that there was science, trying to put science behind everything you did and, and really question everything in the sport um, and make it fool yourself every now and again. 
I think that's a, that's a really interesting point you bring up because when you go down that path of trying to shuffle up this traditional, we all say it's our old school bunch of like, they just yeah. throw people into a meat grinder and see what yeah, turns yeah. up. And that is a lot of what happens. Like you said, a rabble bank, they, they, you, you had to be fit, but then you got into the races and then that would sort itself yeah. out. Right. Yeah. And they had their system. And this idea of like when you're going to sh- change things up and sh- you have to be willing to also really fuck things up as well because you're going to yeah. try things that that's why you don't do it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it's yeah. like yeah, that old sense. tradition and that old, that wiseness from, you know, 100 years of guys doing it this way. Maybe guys were yeah. thinking along those lines that like down way maybe, back, maybe. you know? They didn't. Maybe they didn't have the science <laughs> behind it, but they'd actually tried a couple other ways and this worked the best. Exactly. You know? And we're not sure why, but we know that it works. Um, but it was a, a really exciting time to be a part of that. And, and, and I think a lot of it, too, goes back to the mental side. Yeah. We were told we had the best equipment, so we believed it. We yeah. were told yeah. we were doing this and the thing. I mean, my, my favorite one is the, um, the pre-race hydration strategy. You know? And like, let's be clear, guys, it's a bottle of water with some pineapple juice in it. <laughs> like, we can call it a pre-race hydration strategy. <laughs> Because that means that we've got scientific proof and we're doing the best thing to, to hydrate for a race. But really, it was a bottle of water with some pineapple juice in it. It's just drinking water before a race. I mean, yeah. you know, and you sell it to the riders and they think they're on the best dietitian, on the best diet. They've got the best equipment. They're doing yeah. the best thing. They've got the best coaches and best trainers. And you believe it. Totally. That's you something start, I want to, I want to touch racing. on because yeah. you were part of this that was a real culture that started a lot of that. And what I, I started noticing in my years when sports science started becoming a bigger part of Green Edge and mm-hmm. that it was you, like I, I started to look for the narrative of every year. And, and what mm-hmm. I found is that sports scientists had to find a trick, a way to mm-hmm. convince the guys that what they were doing was the latest, greatest, the most special. Mm-hmm. No one else knows about this. We're, we're the only ones kind of dabbling in this. Yeah. Yeah. And the power is not in the actual research and no. the, the studies that have been done that have shown like a micro shift in performance. Yeah. It's in the it's in the brains of those guys that go like, yeah, I did this. this is, yeah, and we got these wheels now, and no one yeah. has these tires. These are prototype tires. It's like twenty yeah. percent less rolling resistance. It just builds up this like there's power in that, and uh, oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, and, and how do you keep that going? How do you convince people all the time? And, and yeah, where where do you do that and how can you do that? It's, it's yeah, it was so powerful. I mean, I don't yeah. think I have the answer of how to how to keep doing that. <laughs> yeah. But I think you're right, and I think that's how, I mean, I asked myself, how did I train to be a pro for 20 years? And, and ultimately, when I was 16, I was doing strength endurance efforts, which are torque efforts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've been called 15 different things since I was 16 and when I did them when I was 39 or 40 years old. A little bit different um, in, in like the length, a little bit different yeah. in cadence, a little bit different in the wattage. And, yeah, yeah. Was, it, was I doing, you know, 10 minutes, 8 minutes, 3 times 5 minutes? Was I spinning afterwards? Was I sprinting into them? You just needed to change it. And that, that's ref- I don't think I would have been able to do it if the, if the coaches didn't change it up for me and, and you know, and, yeah. and, and call it something else and make it a bit different. But uh, ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, it was the same effort I was doing when I was 16, I was doing when I was 40. 
Yeah. <laughs> but so, I had to believe I had to yeah. believe when I was 40 that it was the latest effort. Yeah. yeah. So like I'm curious, like now that you're part of management, is that any part of discussion? <laughs> like what are we like whatever <laughs> you know, like Quadi's in charge of the sports science at, yeah, yeah. at Bike Exchange, you know, like is there is yeah. there talk or is he just he sells his latest thing on everyone and everyone just goes, okay. Um, yeah. Look, I think if we had more time and we had more resources, we'd probably put, and I, definitely at the end of the season, we have those talks. We have talks about what is motivating, what, what creates success, what breeds success. Um, you know, how to, what, what, you know, and some things that I do is I try to think about the, the words I use in a radio, like not using negative terms, like using words that are powerful and, and I've got to try and control myself, and I don't always get it right, and I sometimes forget, and things like that. But um, by the time we get into racing, um, like most organisations, we just go back to trying to get survive, and and you lose a bit of that that edge that you have in the off season when you get to sit down and talk about, you know, doing all these exciting exciting new things. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think I think a lot of guys understand now that that the psychology. Um, whether it's whether it's the new training techniques or whatever it is that it's super powerful and and you know I'm definitely um, an advocate for for guys finding if you're going to spend six seven hours a day training on your bike why not just touch upstairs for for 15 minutes or an hour every week um, because that that can actually have a bigger impact on your performance than yeah than, yeah. than training. You know, you're all too happy to do an extra hour on on the bike, um, but uh, sometimes you leave that just up to chance. I'm not saying it's it's broken, but it's a bit chancy. The, yeah, the, you know, and you can you can change your uh, mental state, but with a bit of training. Yeah, and that was a big and that was a big thing from Sky too. I mean, yeah, the, they, they, the, they started looking yeah. into that stuff, right? Well, it was centre stage. I mean, you know, the the sports psychologist um, Steve Peters is well famous. He, you know, was behind a lot of the success of of the um, track program, and he was a centre part of the team. You know, it wasn't a peripheral thing that right. oh, we have a sports scientist somewhere you know, that you can get in touch with, you know, I'll email, I'll give him your email address. Um, he was a big part of, of, of those conversations, of the team meetings, of, of the, the group. And, um, yeah. So, yeah. I, I would like at the races is like, um, like teams bringing physios and chiros or like, is that yeah, changed yeah. a lot since like it's got yeah, big, a big difference? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. And again, they wanted to be, you know, I remember actually the first year because chiropractor and osteo, that's a bit, that was a bit shady for, yeah. for Sky. Like, I was like, well, you show us the information where a chiro is going to make you any better. Like yeah. um, physiotherapy, we know that's that's uh, that's real medicine, but uh, an osteopath, mm, um, that's a bit that's a bit marginal. So, um you know, and, and then guys kept asking for them or whatever, and uh, I'm not sure where they're at now. But, um, you know, so I, th I just think they brought the sport up and yeah. we can always be jealous of big teams with a lot of money. But I think at the end of the day, you just have to say, well, this is a team that brings everybody's level up. If that's the new norm, that hundred percent, yeah. yeah. What you know, we have yeah. now is a is there a massive part of it? You know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. yeah. So, 
we're uh, now we're shifting to from Sky and and uh, yep. joining uh, Orca Green Edge yep. at the time. What yep. prompted that change? I know, like I can you know think of a million yep. reasons, but uh, yeah. we, we want to hear from your words. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wasn't on the first year with you guys, yeah. um, so I missed the first two seasons of uh, of Orca um, or Green Edge at the time. Um, yeah, I think so. I got that renewed, you know, I reinvented myself a little bit as a, as a rider and I was, I was there in the final of some of the classics and I was surrounded by Fletcher, Stannard, um, Geraint Thomas was riding all the classics and we're pretty top heavy, not with a real big winner, but we're all there. And I kind of, you know, found kind of my renewed kind of um, competitiveness to actually ride the finals and, but then was falling back into the same trap of just doing the job for other guys. And there was always somebody who was, who was um, the leader. And this big thing hanging over the Tour de France, and I wasn't going to ride the Tour de France on Sky. I came pretty close one year, but I was almost guaranteed I'd ride it on, um, on Greenwich. And we're now 15 years into my career and I still haven't been to the Tour de France. And so it's a, you know, can, those can you things. can you touch on that a bit? What it's like to be like a rider of your stature, and you're you're back yeah. home, and people ask you what yeah. you do, and you say, "Well, I'm a professional cyclist," and yeah. and <laughs> they ask you, "Well, have you done the Tour de France?" And if you say no, no it's well, you're just what are you then? Well, yeah, what else yeah. do you do for work? Hundred you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. percent, <you have. laughs> and and um. And I could have, I could have, you know, in at Peloton, I could have told most people I'd done it six times and they would have believed me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, there's nobody who would have, you know. <laughs> no, you were at I that level. Them, guys were like, yeah, that's yeah. the road captain of oh, any team. Like, yeah. he would do yeah. that race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be the most normal thing I would have thought. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was an itch I needed to scratch and it was my own kind of ego there. Uh, I found out later there's not much to the Tour de France. Anyway. <laughs> it wasn't worth it. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, more trouble than it's worth. That one. Uh, so I probably should have just left it as it was and just lied every time that old lady said about the Tour de France. Um, it would have gone down better. I'll say that about the Olympics because that's the only other one I probably in my career I would have liked to have done the Olympics. That's also shocking to me, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so... Yeah, that, that was a big part of it. And, I mean, obviously, um, I've known Whitey for a long time. Um, he was also keen to, to work and to have me as a rider even before that and then when he was starting the team. Uh, and I know all of the Aussie guys. Like, it was, a, it was a perfect fit to go. But I'd only just signed at Sky for two years when the team started to start. And I right. just felt like I've just invested in this new group of guys and we're starting to really click and I've got great equipment and I'm ready for the classics and I've got a bunch of, we're always in the front with the whole team. Why would I want to go and start a new team again? Um, so that's why I came on two years later. So after another two years at Sky, when I was like, okay, now it's a bit crowded here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to get some more opportunities on an Aussie team and um, get to ride the Tour de France, um, which 2014, uh, first Tour de France, and I didn't finish. That's uh, one of the lowest days in my career, actually. Yeah. So I spent 15 years trying to get there. And yeah. then uh, stage 12 or 13, before the first rest day, 2014. Filthy was, day, I remember. It was one day. of those medium mountain stages that just yeah. kicked yeah. off from the gun. And 
Yep. And I, I, went home. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the sport can be pretty cruel sometime and it took me quite a while to get over that one. So, yeah. Um, came back, missed it in 15, won Roubaix in 16 and started the Tour de France and just rode around France with just a different level of confidence because I remember thinking one time, I'm getting dropped here and I heard the race radio come past and they're going, uh, Alache de Mathieu Hamer, Vainqueur de Harry Roubaix. And it's like, no, it's my, this is the group. It's not the groupetto. It's the Matthew Heyman group. You know? like, <laughs> yeah. I just had that, you know, like, this oh, yeah. is, you know, other guys are joining me in the groupetto. Yeah, I'm not man, joining them. You want a monument, man. Like that's, yeah, so, it's different, you it, know? <laughs> it just, and I really, I never was in trouble in that, in that tour. And, you know, I'd been through, and it's not just a tour. I've been, I had struggled my way through many a grand tour and had, you know, you know, we've been there, you know, yeah. the days. Yeah. You know those days and you have nightmares about them and you see them in the race book and you see them a week out and they come closer and closer and they're as bad as you could ever imagine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I didn't have one of those days in that tour and I got through, um, you know, and just with a renewed <clears throat> confidence. So, And it was totally different to the experience of 2014 where yeah. I went home. I want to so touch on that a bit though because there's a lot of power in just that confidence and then mm. the survival mode. So survival mode, you're reacting to every little thing within a grand tour. And if you really care yeah. about that grand tour, everything is causing stress in your yeah. in your system. You you're worried about the start. You're worried about the first climb. You're yeah. worried about this and that. When when the confidence is there, and you've you've done the proper build up, and you have faith in what you can do, and you're and yeah. you're actually like the confidence is like, well, hey man, like I'm good, like. This is just a bonus for me. So you're not yeah. stressing about every little detail. It allows you to just flow so much better through something yeah, like yeah. that. I remember definitely. I mean, I went back and worked with my original sports psych from when I was a 16-year-old and went to junior world championships in my last Tour de France as a 40 <laughs> And, um, you know, we talked about that and said, well, what, what are you scared of? Like, what is that? what is that fear that you go home? Let's talk about that. Yeah. You know, what yeah. is it like to go home from a grand tour? Yeah, it hurts. But if you're not good anymore, if, if, if your best is not good enough, let's, let's, you know, get comfortable with that's something that might happen. And let's not spend six hours in the mountains pretty much just burning kind of uh, just real adrenaline and fear and, and, you know, and just go, what will be, will be. I'm out here in France and I'm going to enjoy today for what it is. And if I miss time cut, so be it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so that was, it took until my last tour to France to get to that point. I could have, could have used that in 2000. It's better then than never, you know, like, yeah, like yeah, I think cause yeah. that can apply to a lot of the rest of life as well. Yeah. Right. That's yeah, an important yeah. lesson. So, yeah. So really just get into that point of saying, and I mean, it's easier too, when you've done five tours to, to be in that yeah. way. Totally. It's easier too. It's easier too when you've got a wife and kid to go home to. Yeah. It's a bit different when you're a 23 year old and you've just got your first pro contract to go, what will be, will be. If yeah. I get time yeah. cut today, <laughs> I'll just move on with my life. Not happening. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not realistic. I want to talk quickly, just on a side note, that notion of, and the, the act of leaving a race and in how in our world we feel like this 
we feel like the world's actually you're at the airport no one fucking care they don't no. even know but you actually <laughs> think they're like oh Everyone's looking at me. <laughs> he's coming <laughs> on from the tour that guy couldn't make it through the stage what a loser you know and that's yeah. that's the mindset you have to have and i want to yeah. touch on that because you need a bit of that right as as destructive yeah. as that is that's what powers you forward it's like i always talk about with ego it's like ego is a motherfucker, but you kind of need a little bit of it, right? Like yeah, sure. else you don't do stuff. You don't challenge yeah. yourself. You don't push yeah. yourself. So talk yeah. about leaving that race bubble and how crazy that is. <laughs> mindset. Oh, man. It's, it's, it's why we get up after a crash. I mean, it's why I was on a home trainer after I broke my yeah. arm before. Yeah. Because your only identity is a bike rider and you've just failed. Yeah. Like, that is how you identify. And if I'm not riding my bike in the race I was supposed to be in, what am I? Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's the the big one. Like you just identify as a rider and, and, and when you can't do that. And I think that's why guys just jump up from crashes because this is what I do. Yeah. How many guys come back from injury too quickly because that's their identity? Yeah. Um, yeah. If I'm not going to the next race or I'm not even got the next race on my calendar, you know, even that just having when you're still in limbo and you're getting x-rays and you're not even sure. You're nothing. Yeah. And once somebody says six weeks, this will be your next race. Oh, <laughs> challenge. It's there. I'm, yeah. I'm back. I'm going to be back. four weeks though. <laughs> yeah. Four weeks. I'm not listening to this guy. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's a renowned uh, think- surgeon in Belgium. He works on motorcyclists, <laughs> and this is what he's. No, I'm going to do four, maybe three. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's 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 the big one. You just lose your identity there for a while, for a yeah. few days. Yeah. Until- until either that race finishes or you've got another race on your program. Um, I think I think that's a hard one. But, yeah, I definitely, yeah, you feel like the spotlight's on you and, you know, that whole thing, you know, we're near as important as you think you are and nobody really cares. Yeah. Um, and, and it's tough for me now because, I mean, I, I remember how I felt getting off that race and, um, you know, I'm trying as much as all the other jobs I have to do is to connect with the guys that the guys that need to talk the most after a race are probably the guys that are doing least well. And yeah. they're yeah. not the ones you're focusing on. They're the ones that actually need you to come to and have a chat and say, yeah. you know what, you're doing okay. Um, so, yeah, and still not getting it right. And, I, I mean, you know, I was there going, I'm going to do it different as a director. And, yeah. Yeah, I'm falling in with the old boys. Yeah. <laughs> Here's your ticket, mate. Here's your ticket. But there's always going to be that understanding, no matter how hard it is to, like, like as a director, I think it's always easy to kind of lose sight of what it was to be a cyclist, but you're always going to have that memory that I think, because we always talk about, like, well, directors, shouldn't you have, like, a business-minded person in there who can, like, make business-minded? Well, it's like, yeah, but they, they don't understand the sport at that level. No one will ever yeah. understand what that is when you, when a guy yeah. gets sent home or you, you're driving a guy to the airport after the stage and yeah. he's just like, you don't know what's going on in his head. But it's like, no, no. it's almost suicidal for some guys, right? Like yeah, their yeah. worth yeah. as a human is just at the absolute, yeah. it's tanked. Yeah. And put on top of that, the, nobody's getting off fresh. No. They're tired. They're emotionally yeah. drained. Yeah. They're physically drained, and, yeah. and you're not sure what they're going home to. So, and and they're treating themselves as this loser who didn't prepare well enough, or whatever, isn't good enough. And in the end, yeah. no one's at that level if they're not good enough, right? Yeah. So it's like yeah. you need someone in the head of these guys being like, mate, yeah, just start looking to the next one. You know, like it's yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, it's not easy. It's a pretty pretty brutal sport. Like, I got pretty Fuck reminded yeah. of that yesterday. Um, <laughs> you know, it is just, you know, seeing these guys after the race, seeing the guys in the race, seeing guys in gutters and, and on the ground. And, um, you know, it's it's we've desensitised to how brutal it is, I think. Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, I've been in it for, you know, I am desensitised. Yeah. I, I don't, I can't look at it with fresh eyes. No. I'm starting to think that's normal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're changed for life. For, yeah. <laughs> someone mentioned this morning that, you know, Dion had a tumble yesterday and he was obviously, you know, he had a sore knee and everything, but we were 4K from Molenberg and I didn't really give him a chance. And I said, come on, mate, you'll be right. <laughs> um, he was looking at me to say, oh, I don't know. And yeah. so, um, you know, but yeah, you need to be careful at the same time. You know, we had a guy fall off the other day and I looked at him straight away and said, ambulance, you know, you've hit your head. Let's not take any risks. So there's there's got to be a balance between getting guys through that hard those hard moments, um, and yeah, the rider health and safety. And I think we need to always push that as well. Yeah, yeah. So now we're gonna jump to uh, 2016, the big the big dog. And uh... well, I've got to go now, anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the build up to this uh, this Roubaix. And uh, both Randy and I have, you know, our stories from being in the race, and and uh, yeah. but you know, you had a you had a crash injury, and you yeah. you came up. So tell us a bit about that, and then how you came back. Like, and this is what we were kind of touching on earlier. This, this mentality, yeah. yeah, for sure. Like, I uh, I crashed in opening weekend. I think it was in News Blood, and um, knew something wasn't right straight away. So, you know, went to hospital, arm in plaster. Um, they're saying, you know, six weeks. That's Four. about Roubaix time. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, went home. And like you said, there was there was no real plan. There was no real, you know. Um, two weeks later, went and saw kind of the specialist in Belgium. Um, he took the cast off and, and I thought it was pretty good by then. I didn't feel any pain and, you know, that, and as soon as he took the cast off and I feel the arm drop, I'm like, oh, it actually is broken. You know, it is, you know, I thought I was out of it. Um, so, but just, yeah, not with no direction, uh, I thought I was going to jump on the trainer. The first days were just horrible, but I felt like a bike rider at least. I was doing something. Um, and I got involved with, with Zwift there on the trainer and it really did help me. Um, and I didn't have a smart trainer. I didn't have anything like that, but after doing the first session, just looking at a brick wall. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, I, I, you know, emailed my coach, I'm going to try and, and it was more when I look back of all the work I'd done to get to that point. Right. Yeah. You know, I'd done altitude training camps. I'd been away from home. I'd done, I'd just invested so much to let it go like that. You know, I just yeah. wanted to hold on to that investment, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, just started kind of knocking out these, two-hour training sessions, morning and night, an hour and a half. And it, it, it's, it added up to being a lot, but at the time it wasn't too bad. I didn't feel like it was a massive, massive effort. I had nothing else to do. Um, but I remember starting to, you know, write to, to Whitey and stuff and say, well, is there a spot in the Giro? Is there, um, can I get up for the punter? If I do the punter, then maybe I can do Flanders and I'll be back for Roubaix. Um, and they're like, no, your bikes aren't up in Belgium. They're not even there. And uh, no, there's no spots in the Giro. And it was just a bit like, 
Oh, that brings you to June uh, then, like oh, yeah, no racing. Just, yeah, I'm just like, yeah, um, yeah, May June. I was pretty much like, if I don't get back for Amstel or something, it's June is kind of like the next goal, and I'm yeah. just going to leave that. You know, six weeks of doing efforts at altitude, and you know, yeah. All that. And yeah, so surprisingly, the coach started to get excited about like, well, you're actually kind of holding good form, and and uh, things are actually you know ticking along all right, and. Um, it was very doable. And then uh, I stayed on the trainer probably longer than I needed to be because I just felt like it was good work. And if I went out on the road and tested my arm, it'd be an easy day. And, you know, how long, you know, you tried on a few bumps. And I was just like, oh, I'll just knock out these these interval sessions, do one in the morning, one at night, feeling pretty good. Um, and maybe looking back, all that sweating I was doing, I didn't even have a fan on or anything. I was yeah. probably just, you know, just throwing the body another stimulus of just new adaptations for you which you'd never done yeah. that stuff right so just, it was like just intervals and sweating you know yeah. so we know that heat has a good effect on on hemoglobin and yeah. stuff like that and i was doing intervals which is probably the bit i missed probably the missing link in in me as an athlete at that point you know uh, i had enough endurance especially um, as you get older i i found like yeah that was yeah. crucial yeah yeah so then um yeah finally kind of Got the call that, you know, I started pushing, pushing and was able to go down to Spain and, and ride uh, ride two one-day races, which are on this weekend, so yeah. the weekend of Flanders, um, Roja and uh, Miguel Indrain. Yeah. yeah, and got in a break there and just rode myself into the ground. And nice. it was all, there was, in my head, you know, I did a big five-hour ride in, in at home before I left and was feel, the sensations were pretty good. And I started putting out some, you know, personal best numbers and stuff and, and it was in my head, like, you know, I think the next day was Rioja and, and I said, I'm going to ride on the front all day. I needed yeah. two big days. My coach is saying, do some big days. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, I think Michael Matthews, he won it in the end and he wanted me to do part of the lead out. But, so it's quietly I was still trying to prepare for, for Roubaix and, and Amstel. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then just the recon, same thing, went to the recon, just behind them guys were doing some stuff behind the motorbike they were pretty jaded from all the classics and they're all like a bit battle weary and you know like oof, yeah you kind of knew what to expect i came in fresh totally um, i remember that and yeah. yeah and i was just riding off the back of the motorbike and doing my own thing getting in a big day lots of lots of uh, calories burnt i was doing extra stuff and the power was just coming pretty easily and then the, the other thing was the expectation, you know, so that's that's one side of it. That, and then, you know, you know me and I just put so much pressure on myself for that race and tried to go from a worker to a to a leader. Yeah. Um, you know, at best I was a at best I was normally a, you know, somebody who could help make a race, but I wasn't a, a true leader. I wasn't a leader in the sense of I would command five guys to ride in front of me. Right. Um, well, then, then there's a difference in in that, but the respect yeah. for what, when you spoke, everyone listened and and did. You know, like yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I felt my role. I felt I was better too as a road captain. Yeah, you know, I felt like you know I could see it. I could see what was going to happen. I could get people in there, but I also wanted to shy away from that when I was trying to go for a result because it it takes like you're not putting yourself first. You're putting yeah, yeah. everybody else. Yeah. What is best for for the team? Like, totally. Not what's best for me. And that's a hard shift in the mentality because it's like it's now just saying I'm 
I'm it. I'm the one. I, like yeah. this, this is about me yeah. now. And that's hard when you're and not actually, wired that way. I think <laughs> I know. I actually think I know the best way to get into corners. So yeah. why would I have trust somebody else? Because yeah. that's my job normally is to know where we're supposed to be. Totally. Um, so why would I go and sit in someone else's wheel with less experience? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but when we came into this race, pressure off. Like, I'm just here for fun. Yeah. If I get, you know, let's let's see if I get to the first sector. Let's see if I can be there in the final. No pressure to do anything. Here to have fun. <laughs> Happy to be back. Sun is shining. I so um, I noticed I, yeah. I'm going to share like quickly a, yeah. a story like just the difference in your nature because you are like when you have I remember like when you had your objectives you were you were switched on like that was it yeah. you know and you put a lot of pressure on yourself yeah and I think that's what like you actually cared and that's what gave you that career for 20 you cared for those 20 years yeah. you know that's like yeah. not everyone can do that <laughs> but i do remember at that roubaix you were pretty you were pretty I'm relaxed. pretty intense <laughs> yeah you, you, can't, you can't be yeah um, <laughs> so anyways i was put on uh, breakaway duty actually docker and i yeah. were put on uh, breakaway duty and i think buells as well yeah. and the nature of that is 100k of rolling kind of windy just cold and you know it was moist that morning i'm gonna say and it's just everyone wants to be in the break and dude like i'd spent so many years just riding for the team i didn't do many days where they said go on the breakaway like i'd just yeah. forgotten that yeah <laughs> what that's all about you know like i'm out yeah. there just trying to jump with everything totally fucked like going from the front <laughs> to the ass you know like yeah. fighting yeah. the way back up to the crossway to the outside of it Oh, there's a move. Sprint, and then you look back, and you're just like, ah, oh, it's all, you know. Yeah. So you're doing yeah. that for a hundred k. And I remember we'd shit the bed, we'd miss this move, and I could just, <laughs> I, I was just like, oh, this is a, this was the big move, right? And it's yeah. what it's what broke into your move eventually. Yeah. But I'll never forget because like you'd just been cruising because you like you were yeah. gonna wait to do like get to Durban, the hard yards of the race. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I just remember watching you just bang straight across to this move. Like, and I was just like, holy shit. Cause like, you know, when you've been doing a hundred moves all yeah. year, like you're just shit. Yeah. Like at a certain point, you just have no more punch and you just watch you go just like straight across to this big move. And then it, it went yeah. from there. And I know Randy, you were yeah. in the same position trying to get in the early break. And it was just like, yeah. So yeah. from there, and it's, it's like, that, yeah. It's <laughs> that confidence too. Like, because I remember actually going and how often do I actually go? I would yeah. normally follow, follow, follow. Yeah. And I was like, that's the move. I'm riding across to it. Yeah. And I don't know what the numbers were because it didn't matter. I just. It there, must have been around the 80K mark, no? Like, yeah, it yeah. Was... But I mean, you just hit the power and the power was there and yeah. you rode across. Yeah. It, wasn't, you know, it wasn't even a thought. It's like, I'm going to make that jump, you know, and you're trying to make a junction to guys that are riding for their life to get in the <laughs> yeah you know yeah um, but that confidence that you don't get all the time no you just go right now i'm going um uh yeah so, so yeah i was on it you on a date yeah. i was on a blinder yeah and that's it it just all falls into place like you pick it i went twice yeah. i went one other time yeah and then i was like this is the move i'm i'm off and you don't get that normally. You normally, is it this one? Isn't it that one? You're just fully confident, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So now you're, you're in the break, you're in for a big one and you're probably, I don't know. Are you, is your, are your thoughts like this is Magnus just a bonus? Was, yeah. Magnus was with me actually. Yeah. So talk to him pretty quickly and he's like, Oof, nah, 
no, I've, he I've wasn't feeling it. Matches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I've burned a lot of matches here. Um, and I'd been in a couple of breaks in Roubaix before, um, a few other ones. And so I had a fair bit of experience with what not to do. Um, so I used a lot of that. So, and I was just like, I'm out here to get caught. And when I get caught, I want to be with the best guys. Yeah. So, so you're just looking after and whether, Yeah. I was just looking after, and it wasn't to win. I'm not going to be, you know, I was there. Okay. Whenever I get caught, hopefully I'll get through Arenberg. Hopefully I'll get through this. And yeah. then when, when Durbo and, and Jens uh, come across, then, then I'll be there. I'll be there for them. And we've got a guy in, in the race, but a couple of other times I'd pushed and pushed to try and keep a breakaway away. I'd started the attacking early uh, on a break that actually went to the finish and it didn't work out. So I was, I was pretty, yeah, pretty careful with my energy out there. And in the back of my head was I've, I've just been doing a couple of Virgo sessions. Yes. <laughs> Their legs are going to fall off. This is 265K. It's not going to make sense. Yeah, It's do, not going to yeah, work. Yeah. I've been doing an hour and a half morning, hour and a half at night. So just, just take it easy because yeah. the legs are going to fall off. And they just never did. I also want to uh, quickly touch on something too. You yeah. rode you rode our sprint bike, the Scott Foil, yeah, with C forties, sixties. What were the deep dish? The yeah. deep dish C sixties, so yeah. super yeah. stiff, everything stiff, yeah. not big tires. You didn't do any of the typical stuff that all no. the guys have been up stressing, changing frames no. and this and that. Yeah, yeah. You just said, "No, this, yeah. I'm going to take my Actually, sprint frame." <laughs> So, yeah, they came with a new bike uh, a couple of days before that I hadn't ridden before, and that bike was the only bike I'd ridden. I'd ridden right. it to Down Under, and I'd ridden it in, in the weekend before in Spain. Yeah. Um, seat was right. Everything was right. I wasn't going to let someone build me a brand-new bike. No, because it's it never the same. Huh? It's they tell you it's same. bang on, they say. <laughs> and one bolt gets rattled loose, yeah. and your seat goes down, your handlebar <laughs> moves, anything, anything. I was like, this bike is fine. It's it's, and I remember starting on sta- standing on the start line, and uh, I was there with Heinrich Hausler, and he's like, "Oh, so where are you going to change?" I was like, "What? <laughs> where are you changing? Where are you, where are you changing to your to your Roubaix bike?" And I'm like, "No, no, I'm riding this to finish." <laughs> he's like, "Nah," and he was on the same bike as me. Yeah, yeah, but he didn't finish on that bike. He yeah. changed to the first sector. Right. I think he had. I, I had oh, big bag tires on, but. Um, yeah, and I, and I let, left the pumping of the tyres to the mechanic, which was the first time in 17 years I'd let the mechanics pump you my tyres. You truly let go. Yeah. <laughs> I had let go. Nice. Uh, I think yeah. that's, yeah. Okay, so yeah. you're in the break, and uh, you got those boys are, are with you now, and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Break yeah, it down a bit, bit for a, us there. Well, I made a bit of a silly move. Um, I was worried I could hear a lot of stuff going on behind, so... There was a big issue with uh, just before Arenberg, I think, in the peloton with with Tom going away and Fabian missing it, or maybe Sagan missing it. And then there was a, some Martin panic riding. stations. Yeah. yeah, so it was a lot of racing in the bunch, and I'm yeah. hearing a lot of that. And I was on sector after after Arenberg, and there's a couple of crosswinded sections. So I did a bit of a tried to get the brake to go a bit faster there, and actually rode away for a little while. In hindsight, it was a bit. A bit silly. And you had bullets um, that day, hey? Yeah, and then I just went back to the group and then uh, got through uh, Mark Matteo, number 13, um, which is not one of my favourite sectors. Um, so just around Orchies is when the break comes. Yeah. And that's 
that's uh, you know pretty much the who's who of Roubaix, and with uh, Tom and and all these guys and few Sky guys and Durbo's there. And uh, I look across and I say, hey, how you going? And Debo's like, yeah, yeah, good. And he's just dust on the back of it. And he's fully Good. He's open. He's like, whoa, we're in Rubai. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he said, that's the good anyway. part about it, <laughs> how he's feeling. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I just attacked. Like, we'd just been caught. And I thought, oh, this could be a good time to go. So I started attacking. And that's like through that town of just before she didn't really work um but often people right away there and went with two or three attacks got back and then tom's just lit it up on all she's and and luke's punched so luke was with us for like i heard someone punch her and not a, not 10 seconds later i heard on the radio puncher puncher i'm like oh well <laughs> i'm about by myself again so pretty select group two sectors after i think uh ineos had a big crash they all fell apart over each other um so they went from having pretty commanding you know presence in the front group to losing a couple of guys and then i just yeah just was waiting for the legs to fall off you know and got through a bit of a, a big move for me was probably on mont pavel when um some guys started attacking sep and and ian went off the front and i made a bit of a decision there and to actually go and when we came off mon pavel it's 50k to go and actually the first five guys off there were the five guys who went into velodrome so even though a lot of guys came back like you right. can even see there at 50 you can tell those were the guys that had legs yeah yeah and i you know just got onto tom and that and we closed it down just after mon pavel um the group swelled again uh adam viti and a couple other guys and heinrich was still there and a few guys so we're back up to you know 10 guys um and then there was a big, big move going into the one before uh, um, before Carrefour. And uh, Luke Rowe really lined it out in the crosswind and then Ian went for it and we were down to five guys. Um, still just going, well, this is pretty good, you know. I think I'd been eighth before, so this is going to be my best result. Yeah. Um, and that's, then on Mon, <laughs> yeah, we, we go into Carrefour uh, and... Uh, yeah, Ian comes underneath me and I go kind of straight line this corner, probably too much experience. I'd seen Fletcher crash there on that corner a few years before and I probably grab too much break and I lose contact with them and at the same time, Sepp's attacking. So now I'm off the back, Sepp's off the front and there's the three guys in, in the middle. Um, and a big mental thing there was just going, shit, yeah, this is what you deserve. You know, that's kind of your lot in life. You get pretty close and then shit happens. Yeah, you know, yeah. I've punched yeah. before. What were you, you know, you're getting your hopes up there about, you know, yeah, riding into yeah, the velodrome yeah. with these guys. Like, this is what you deserve. Right. And then I just went, ah, I've got nothing to lose. Yeah. Right, left, right, left, right. You know, just turn the brain off and yeah, just yeah. left, right, left, right. Wow. And, yeah, so eventually next minute I just come back through the motorbike and back onto that group. And from that point, I was like, actually, these guys were going and, and I rode back across and I was like, actually, <laughs> I actually got a bit of a secret they don't know about, you know. And from that point, yeah, started to ride a bit smarter and wasn't, you know, resigned to getting fifth. And But still, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't thinking I was going to win that race, but I didn't have the stress. Yeah, um, yeah. 
I still wasn't. It'd be, it'd be lying to say I was going, I'm going to win this. You know, how am I going to win this race? That's not what I was thinking. I was going, you know what, getting on the podium in Rebay, all I have to do is beat two guys and I'm on the podium in yeah, Rebay. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, but that's also not my actions, you know, like I was pretty free in the final. I wasn't riding defensively just to beat two guys. I yeah. Attacked over you were going. You were going. Yeah. yeah. I was definitely free, you know. I felt like I was riding how Simon Garrett oh. would ride, which wasn't how I would normally ride. But, yeah. You know. Trying to be, trying to be smart and trying to, yeah. So that was, yeah, pretty much it. And went to the velodrome, and if in doubt, lead out. Yeah, especially when you get round it. When everyone's tired. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah. yeah. That's pretty much. I think yeah. So just a combination. It took it took that twenty one years of of racing for that all to come together. And there's so many different aspects of. You know, the resilience and the needing to, you know, doing all that training and the knowledge of the race and the different sports psychologists you'd worked with, I first felt it came together, you know, um, and you use little bits of everything. Yeah. I just, uh, for me, it's like, it's such a fantastic example and, and such a, it was, I, I got to experience that. Like, and again, yeah. I was one of those depressed guys coming in like, oh, <laughs> poor me, you know, like what? I suck, you know, just depressed. And then, you know, I made it to the bus and I'm watching the shit you're pulling off like magic, <laughs> you know, in this final, in this finale. And like, like the thoughts that were going through your head, you know, when you're out the back there, we're like, oh yeah, yeah, but he's done great. You know, like this is still a good yeah. result. Yeah. Holy shit, he's back on it. People in the bus are absolutely losing their minds, you know? Yeah. And yeah. then, you know, when it's coming down to this finale, like, man, I'm not like a sports guy in the sense of like I ever watch sporting events. Like even in yeah. – I only got excited within our team when we pulled off. Yeah. I love that thing. But yeah, 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 watching yeah. you win that fucking race goes down as like something I'll never forget. And it was just such a powerful moment because I knew your background, because I know your, your history and who you are to, yeah. to like go through a career and pull that off. Like as the culmination yeah. of, of what, like the work that you've done is fucking beautiful. So. Yeah. yeah thanks. Thanks. I appreciate it. And it, it does. It, yeah. I mean, what gets me is when I think about my family being there and, yeah. and, and, you know, experiencing it with them and, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't change you. I realized that two weeks later, like you're yeah. just the same, yeah, same yeah. person. Yeah. But it just is a pretty big vindication for all of the sacrifice you went through. It's just like if there's, you know, and your hope, like it just gives a bit of hope to to other people in 100%. the sport, I hope. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I wrote on that when I saw other people and you can relate to me. It's hard for you to relate to Podjika, but yeah, you can right. relate to me. Yeah. I'm just a normal guy. Yeah. Um, so if, if you know, it, it's pretty lucky, but it can happen, you know, if you just keep working, yeah. you know, you yeah. just keep trying and that's bike racing. And if we don't have these moments, it gets pretty boring. You know, it's great to watch the, the those guys, yep. but it's also good to see, see some guys and, and give hope to another, you know, 40% of the bunch that consider themselves. Totally. They're, they're good athletes, but they're not freaks. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. 
Well, with that, mate, I'm gonna we're gonna say no cap worries. it there, and uh, really appreciate that, man. I, I feel yeah. like we could keep talking because there's a ton no, of no, no, questions no. I still have for you, but no, uh, I feel like nice that's a great way too. to yeah to end it off. Thank you, man, for uh, joining no us. No worries, thanks, Next guys. Week. Great, All good right. to see you, bud. Stay safe. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, see ya. Thank you, friends. Thanks for joining us. Uh, what a what a awesome podcast. Um, we have a few things before we go. If you could just uh, share our podcast, you know, if you're enjoying this, share it with some friends, let them know we're actually doing this. Then we can boost up to maybe more than 10 listeners. That'd be fantastic. And we have a few uh, events coming up. We're going to be running a boot camp for the ex-Fondo guys in May 7th out in Abbotsford, out at Will Routley's uh, Healthy Hooch Kombucha Farm. That's going to be a wicked day of a big loop up in the Vetter Mountains. And yeah, I won't go on about that. It's going to be pretty great. We will be also riding in the x up in Whistler June 18th. And uh, as well, uh, a new event we'll be showing up for is the Base Camp Gravel on May 27th. And this is a pretty cool format, people. This is a, a camp out slash ride slash party. And... Uh, I'm really looking forward to that one. And then uh, Randy and I will be riding out from Nelson out to the Fernie Gravel Grind. We'll be doing the, the back way. And Fernie Gravel Grind's on 24th to the 26th of June. So, yeah, looking forward to that one. And then, please, friends, if you could um, help support us by supporting our sponsors, the guys that help us out, and that's uh, Seven Mesh, Kdex, and Shimano. All right. Take care. See you next time.